Canada's housing advocate sounds the alarm bell on the state of housing for Inuit people. Canada promises to give more money to Ukraine. Life expectancy has dropped in the past year. And Kenyan Parliamentary Committee finds that the leader of the starvation death cult was influenced by an Australian cult. Good morning. It's Wednesday, November 29th. I'm Nora coming to you from sunny San Diego. Here are your headlines. We start this morning with a new report from Marie-Josée Houle, Canada's housing advocate, who is slamming the state of housing in the Arctic. Houle said that every level of government is failing Inuit people's access to housing, saying that their human rights are being denied as a result. Alicia Passafiume from the Canadian Press quotes Houle saying this, The housing conditions that the Inuit inhabit are the direct result of colonialism and a staggering failure by successive federal, provincial, and territorial governments over many decades. The level of distress cannot be understated, nor can the toll that being unhoused or precariously housed has on one's physical, mental, and emotional health. To compile the report, Ul traveled to meet with community leaders in Nunavut and Nunatsiavut. Ul heard stories about one person whose house burned down as they tried to keep warm, and many stories of people sleeping in their cars or tents. In Happy Valley Goose Bay, the rate of homelessness is four times as high as rates of homelessness in Vancouver or Toronto. For people who purchased housing, there's a lack of affordable mortgages, and nearly 78% of homeowners in Nunatsiavut cannot get home insurance. Inuit who live in traditional territories live in overcrowded housing, and almost one-third of homes are in need of serious repairs. Ul's position was created in 2019 when the government passed the National Housing Strategy Act. The job of this position is supposed to ensure that the strategy could be implemented. The president of the Nunavut Tungavik Incorporated, Aluki Kutirik, said that the findings are not surprising. The Minister of Northern Affairs, Dan Vandal, said this, quote, The lack of adequate and affordable housing across the North is unacceptable, unquote. This quote from Vandal is useful to note. Here, again, is a politician talking as if he isn't literally responsible for the state of those conditions. Of course, he isn't solely responsible, but he's right. It's unacceptable. But who exactly is holding the bag here? Well, Vandal pointed to money that the government has earmarked for housing in the North, and he said that they will continue to work with, quote, our Indigenous and Northern partners to tackle our colonial past and chronic underfunding of infrastructure and housing in the region by past governments of all stripes, unquote. And Vandal, by the way, it's not just colonial past, it's very much colonial present. Ul details a lot of problems with housing in the North. For example, to pay for an oil furnace, it can cost up to $57 per day in Rankin Inlet. And for housing availability, well, just 15 units were built in 2022. In Pangnatung, there hasn't even been a single new build of housing in a decade. There are 120 families waiting for housing on a public list, and some have been on a list for more than a decade. The population is 1,500 people. NDP MP Lori Idlut is calling on the federal government to transfer jurisdiction for Inuit housing programs to Inuit governments. 
Next to news that's directly related to this last story, Canada is committing more money to foreign military engagements. This time, yep, it's Ukraine again. Yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that Canada will be sending more military aid to Ukraine that it's buying from Colt Canada. In a press release, Trudeau's office said that this recent announcement brings Canada's spending to $8 billion for Ukraine. Part of the agreement is giving Ukraine a $2.4 billion loan to, quote, support essential services such as pension payments, purchasing fuel, and restoring damaged energy infrastructure, unquote. Trudeau also finalized the renegotiation of the free trade agreement with Ukraine and issued a joint declaration that negotiations of the Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement have been finalized. The countries will also create a youth mobility agreement that will allow young people to travel and work among Canada and Ukraine. The press release said this, quote, it includes opportunities for Canadian youth to help rebuild Ukraine once Russia withdraws its forces from the country, unquote. This line struck me as a bit weird. What would it mean for Canadian youth to go and rebuild Ukraine under this agreement? They also announced new sanctions on individuals in Russia and Belarus. Kelsey Gallagher from Project Plowshares posted on Twitter that this new deal includes 21,000 5.56mm assault rifles, 38 7.62mm machine guns, and over 2.4 million rounds of ammunition. And Kamiko inked a deal to provide uranium to Ukraine's state-owned energy company. The announcement reminds us that in war, the winners are companies like Colt and Kamiko, who we are told will then provide, quote, good middle class jobs here in Canada, unquote, as the press release concludes. Now, bringing all of this news together this morning is news now that Canada's life expectancy has dropped for a third year in a row. And in 2022, more people died from COVID-19 than in any other year of the pandemic. This shouldn't surprise you because recall that 2020, we were still confining and slowing the spread of the virus and 2021 deaths were cut significantly by vaccines. Now that COVID-19 has spread as far as it has and vaccination has waned, of course, its impact is being seen in the death data. It is now the third leading cause of death in Canada, jumping ahead of accidents and injuries. Cancer and heart disease are causes one and two. In 2022, life expectancy went from 82.3 years on average in 2019 down to 81.3 years. The biggest decline in life expectancy happened in New Brunswick. It dropped more than a year to be now 79.8 years. And Saskatchewan's life expectancy fell the most over three years combined, dropping two years to 78.5 in 2022. This data did not include information for PEI. The report from the Canadian press reminds the reader that life expectancy is in particular impacted when younger people die. So people dying more often in their 30s will have a bigger impact on the average than if there's a higher number of people dying in their 70s. The story makes a minor note about the increase in deaths among younger people being related to suicide, homicides, and toxic drugs, and then explains how people aged 65 years and older accounted for 91.4% of all COVID-19 deaths. Now, there's a logical problem with the reporting here. The downward pressure on life expectancy is much more related to the spike in toxic drug deaths, 
just because of the average age that it's hitting people at. But this doesn't get more than a passive reference in this report from the Canadian press. Nor does the article tease apart the data based on race, as we know that race has a major impact on the average age that someone dies, with Indigenous people having 20 years less on average than non-Indigenous people in their life expectancy averages. This data is an aggregate and is not likely mentioned in the StatsCan report, but the Canadian press could have added it for comparisons if the overall story is about declining life expectancy in general. And finally, to Kenya, where a parliamentary report has examined the case against Paul McKenzie over accusations that he led a death cult. More than 400 people died in the Shakahola forest in Kenya. The parliamentary report found that McKenzie was influenced by leaders of an Australian cult movement that's called the Voice in the Desert. Their leaders are Dave and Sherry McKay. The relationship between the two groups was mostly over social media, though someone linked to Dave McKay gave a sermon to McKenzie's church called Good News International in 2019. This is from reporting in The Guardian. The Voice of the Desert even posted on Twitter that they had links to the church in Kenya, where at the time of the Twitter posting, they mentioned that they were aware of the 100 deaths. Dave McKay, probably unsurprisingly, has denied to ever having contact with Paul McKenzie. But in the report, McKay had at least once commented on a post from McKenzie's Facebook page called Times TV Kenya about his group's campaign to oppose the Kenyan government's efforts to implement a new national identification plan. It's called the Huduma Namba. In a comment below the video, McKay linked to a YouTube video called quote, Kenyan government targets pastor over Huduma 666 claim, unquote. The associate of McKay spoke at McKenzie's church the day after and focused on their opposition to this new ID program. At that speech, the associate told the people there to check out the YouTube channel of A Voice in the Desert. McKay said that between that visit in 2019 and the news of the massacre in the Shakahola Forest, a voice in the desert has had no contact with Paul McKenzie's group. 428 bodies have been found in the forest. More than 600 people have been reported missing, and McKenzie often recruited vulnerable people from all over Kenya into his death cult. Armed groups enforced people's starvation. Nursing mothers were not allowed to feed their children, and people who died endured slow and horrible deaths, says the report. A Voice in the Desert does not call itself a cult, unsurprisingly. In fact, I'm about halfway through a whole movie that they just created on why they are not a cult, and actually the real cults are the people that fight cults. A Voice in the Desert was formed in 1981 by two white American-born Australians. They are also known as the Jesus Christians, which seems like an unnecessarily redundant phrase or a really bad band name. They have branches all around the world, including in Kenya. They are principally concerned by the idea that a secret cabal is trying to impose the mark of the beast upon society. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, November 29th. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandyandnora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed or anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful day.